foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is Katie B, and you are about to listen to an early episode of my podcast. Now the show is called The Move Your DNA Podcast, and you can find all episode transcripts and the show notes to this episode at nutritiousmovement.com slash podcast. Enjoy. How are you going to go to bed tonight? Oh, no. Welcome to the Katie Says Podcast, where Danny Hemet and Katie Bowman talk about movement, the tiny details, the larger issues, and why movement matters. I'm Katie Bowman, biomechanist and author of Move Your DNA. And I'm Danny Hemet, a chronically curious movement geek. Today's episode is a movement mailbag with a theme. We have never done this. That's right. I spent all morning digging through that mail room where the stacks of mail tower dangerously over my aligned head and spine. And I endangered myself so that we could come up with a theme. <laughs> you put yourself at risk. I put myself at risk for a theme. Yeah. And the questions I wrestled up for today are sleep questions. So we're going to do a sleep-themed movement mailbag. Yeah, that's cool. I'm psyched. So you got some questions for me about... So this is basically a sleep episode. Is that what you're saying? It's a sleep episode. It's a question-driven sleep episode episode of Katie said right with listener questions I like that yeah I like that because they kind of build on each other a little it's bit. true we got some good ones too I can't wait to hear the answers and wade through all this all right are you ready to go yeah our first one is from Brittany and she writes as a pregnant lady everyone and everything is telling me to sleep on your left side usually mm. I'm an all over the place sleeper I go from stomach side back side I'm comfortable in any and all positions, and I never did sleep with a pillow. So now I've been sleeping on just my left side, and while it's comforting to know that it's best for the baby, it seems kind of wrong. Like one side of my body is overworked and the other side is overlooked. I read your article about sleep positions and value that you recommend variety, but is pregnancy time the exception? Should I really sleep only on my left side? You know, you sent me some of these questions ahead of time. And I had never heard of sleep only on your left side, but certainly when I was talking about it with a few other people, they're like, oh yeah, I heard that was a thing. Only I heard it was your right side. And so I I kind of did an online search. I mean, I always start with a database search and there's no literature on it, like a research on it. There's plenty of articles about saying that you should do it as well as I've seen articles as it being not only during pregnancy time that you should only sleep in right. one position. And it, the whole thing feels very like ergonomics-y, mm-hmm. like an, an ergonomics perspective, which means when I, when and just to fill people in, when I mean like the ergonomics perspective means that given all of our other sedentary movement habits, here's the best way to be positioned for a long period of time. And so, I mean, it, my ultimate answer is, I don't know. My Katie answer is that doesn't feel right to me. This idea that 
that there would be this thing that you would need to do, but like wouldn't be feeling the need to do naturally. I mean, I certainly slept every way that I right. could when I was pregnant, which didn't really include, I mean, obviously I didn't sleep on my stomach and, and I didn't, I wasn't able to sleep on my back, but I, I mean, I certainly woke up in the middle of the night on my back and I figured if I was supposed to get off my back, me waking up in the middle of the night was my, right. get off your back sign rather, rather, <laughs> rather than have a book to go, this is how I'm supposed to sleep. Did you freak out that first time? Cause I remember I read that, you know, you, sh- you can't sleep on your back after so many months. And then I'd wake up no. too on my back. And the first time it happened, I thought, Oh my God, I, I just, you know, I killed the baby. Oh no, oh no. no but yeah, it was no, just my body out. just waking me up. My overall relationship with recommendations like that is always with like, oh, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to see how I feel about it first, always, that's you know, wise. usually is mine. Well, speaking of recommendations, when you went through, when you kind of looked this up and found a lot of the left side thing, was was there any one thread in there that like, why is this recommended to us? No, it, you know, it all seems like a lot of times when I find a multiple of websites saying the same thing over and over again. It's usually if I just keep digging for the source, it just keeps, it's like a cut and paste of almost always these same few sentences that are often found like in a handbook at, at one time that was maybe the ultimate authority on that. And it just kind of stems through. I mean, it it could be that we're all supposed to sleep on our left side all the time. I don't know, but it wouldn't make sense to me, which is fine. Me making sense to me is not a requirement for being (laughs) right or wrong, but just in general, it doesn't make sense to me. A cool paper that I did pull, there's actually not really anything on sleeping and positions in this larger perspective of of movement and 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 sleep outside of, you know, a 12-inch bed with a pillow inside a house with a 60-degree <laughs> thermostat. Like, right, that's always the perspective. So sure. the one paper that I have referenced a few times just because it's the only one is that it's called, if you want to look it up, Instinctive Sleeping and Resting Postures, Mm. an Anthropological and Zoological Approach to Treatment of Low Back and Joint Pain. So, you know, their premises are essentially that forest dwellers, this is their this is their terminology, forest dwellers and nomads are suffering fewer musculoskeletal lesions than civilized quote civilized people so again that's pulled from the text so i i wouldn't that those aren't katie bowman words but and lesions not meaning cuts or abrasions but um, I, i would say just issues in the tissues and then that that there seems to be when you're actually dealing more with in my words varied surfaces or surfaces of different pressure they turn they term it a little bit differently but it's essentially the same thing they're, they're always referring to the forest floor as a foundation, but not everyone is sleeping on the forest floor, you know, in these nomadic or even right. quote, forest dweller populations are sleeping on all sorts of cool bedding. I mean, someone who was here training with us brought from uh, South Africa a particular sage, and it's a sleeping sage, meaning it's this very soft plant that people will gather to make the foundation of their bedding. Mm. So I think humans are are seeking soft, comfortable places. Like you're not going to plop down on the gravel out of right. preference. And when we went camping a few weeks ago, we stayed on a, on a pretty primitive island. And we just, we don't bring bedrolls with us. And, you know, we'll use a bedroll in camping for temperature if it's winter camping, but not necessarily for comfort because we've transitioned away from needing the comfort. But this was really hard. I mean, there were like rocks. It was just like hard ground with rocks that we couldn't get out. So we slept on that the first night. And then the next morning, as we were shaking off the effects of doing that, we gathered uh, a ton of eucalyptus. Whoa. From the trees. And I have a picture of it. If I, if you remind me, I can pull up the picture. We can put that in the show notes. And we made an entire bed out of eucalyptus and then put our tent on top of that. So really kind of, it was like the most, the most primitive way, the easiest way without you, like the most low tech way is probably a better way of just moving materials into one place to create bedding. And then we had this kind of like bumpy, it wasn't smooth. We don't need smooth, right? but it was softer. It got, it decreased the pressure a little bit and it made us a lot warmer. Like that was a 90 minutes of activity to do on camping is like, let's make a bed. So anyway, Brittany, sorry, (laughs) I would say I would still say that varied 
I'm always thinking more movement than less. And then certainly during pregnancy, more movement. I think if you're all healthy, that the more movement is also always the better. As far as the absolute of sleeping, I have no idea. But I would, I would have a hunch that you wouldn't find many populations. I, I wonder even in animals, like if they look at other apes, if they take sleep. I mean, yeah, interesting. given the that anatomy be- is very similar, that would be the population that I would go to. And I don't have access to that population, so I don't know. Yeah, well, another and, amazing answer. And, and it's clear, it's clear <laughs> that Brittany, you kind of know what's going on because you're trusting your instincts. Yeah, and that this but it's seems. Hard. I mean, I don't so know. You got to listen to yourself too. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say in pregnancy, I think overall the recommendation is listen. You know, listen to your body, mm-hmm. and and just like if you feel like you're forcing stillness because. You know, you've read that it's better, but it's not encroaching. Like, listen to your body, meaning also pay attention to how you feel in the morning compared to before. Maybe try a week of letting yourself do it another way. I, I doubt there's going to be, I mean, since they're not coming and actually, you know, harnessing people on their left side, that there's certainly going to be some variability in sleeping and just see how you feel. You know, do some experiments on yourself. Sounds good. All okay. Right. This next one's pretty long and there's a bunch of questions in there. And okay. only one of them or two of them relate to sleep. You just wade through what you want and you answer what you want. This is from Dana. And Dana has questions about low back pain, mobility, and aging related to sleeping too. Okay. For 44 years old, and I have had low back pain since my late 30s. It's been tolerable and I've managed it with ibuprofen, stretching when possible, and walking more. Unfortunately, I have a full-time desk job, a 60-mile commute to work. And like many working moms, struggle to find time to fit in movement outside of weekends and the occasional walk during the week. Thanks to you, I get off the train a stop or two before my regular stop as much as possible lately. Yay! So she can yeah, walk that's more. great. Way to go. Mm-hmm. Lately, I'm finding that the first half hour of my day is getting more and more painful. When I get out of bed in the morning, I'm so stiff, I can barely do any other movement involving my back except for slowly walk. If I drop a sock, for example, I have to hold on to something in order to squat down to get it. Forget about bending at the waist. Is this common in 40-somethings? Maybe it's just part of aging. Okay, so stop right okay. there. We'll just say no. <laughs> just to okay. answer that question. All right, so there you go. Checked one off. So I'm wondering about the root cause. Not aging, no. Not moving regularly throughout the day, my mattress, and what I can do to mitigate it. I know I need to move more, but one must sleep. Can you provide some specific things I can do to prevent this morning pain? You want to answer that one? I well, maybe just keep, keep going. Okay. I got to get the whole thing. Got it. <laughs> I also notice the pain if I wake up in the middle of the night, which is often. I've read your posts on giving up pillows and eventually conventional beds. But when I get down on the floor with the kids or the dogs for more than 20 minutes, my husband has to help me up. I get sore so quickly. I have all the DVDs, but I haven't done them all yet. So maybe I need to start there. Oh, yeah, I know. Hold on a second. Okay, there's more. Go. There's more. I know I should bring the half dome to work, but I'd feel self-conscious being that everyone passes by my desk several times a day. Any specific things I can focus on or movements I can begin with? Can I sleep standing up? LOL, JK. (laughs) I don't know if you can, by the way. I I can answer that one. Uh, You're a horse. (laughs) I think giraffes might do too. I don't know. Thanks, Katie and Danny, for all you do. Your podcast books and blog have been informative and now I just have to put it into practice. It's that. I feel like, I feel like she knows exactly what to do. The practice, the putting into the practice is the hardest part. So Mm -hmm. what was one question that I like, is it, is it the lack of movement? Is it the type of bedding? Yeah. Yes. It's, it is, you know, I would say, I mean, and maybe lots of other things, but in general, those are huge categories to be addressed, you know, and Again, I would say, I mean, if you've read Move Your DNA, that the mattress thing that we're talking about is part of the I'm not moving enough. It, you know, you're, you're reducing the amount of movement your body experiences simply by your bed setup. Do you just get on the floor? She, she's a good example of, she's like, how could I sleep on the floor? Getting on the floor right now hurts right. so bad. So yes, I mean, of course, because there needs to be this long transition phase. So right off the top of the bat, the mobility exercises are key because what they're doing is they are moving in a gentle way many of your undermoved areas. So 
to carve out, you know, we all need to sleep. Yes. Oh my gosh. There's so many things here. The first thing is we all need to sleep. For some reason, we understand that that sleep is supposed to be happening like in the daytime, like that you need to sleep in longer. Meanwhile, you could be going to bed way earlier. Going to bed earlier is sleeping in on the other side. I love as sleeping in on the other Penelope side. my dear friend Penelope says. Yes. yes. Getting to bed sooner is key here, I would say, because it sounds like you could use more movement. You need the sleep. You got to go to work. But if you could, I mean, you're all, you already know that that gentle walk is what makes your back feel better. You know that you need to move more. So maybe going to bed earlier, step one, there's going to be so many steps. Step two, getting up a little bit earlier so that you can get in a 15-minute walk, maybe before you even prepare for the day. Like throw on some old dirty clothes, some old shoes, a hat, and walk out the door within five minutes of waking up just to get 10 to 15 minutes of movement Mm -hmm. every day. You need to do some mobilizing exercises, it sounds like. If you can find 15 minutes to do them, I mean, there's an abundant amount you can get. Gosh, I mean, there's a DVD of biomechanics for bad backs. I mean, just pick any simple of those five exercised DVDs, or you can do the nutritious movement multivitamin, which is mm-hmm. 18 of flow, them, but that's yeah. a little bit longer. Yeah, there's a good flow, and there's a morning one and an evening one, or two separate ones, a standing one and a get-on-the-floor one, and start running through those. You know, if you can do it every day, great. If you can't, can you do it four times a day? A week, if not, you just keep going down until you figure out what you can do and then do that. I would suggest that calf stretch at your office, figuring out how to feel less self-conscious about it, whether it's asking the person next to you, does it bug you when I stretch my calves? And let that person tell you no, because it's probably not bothering them. They probably aren't even noticing. Be bolstered by the fact that they go, I don't care what you're doing. And then go, okay. You know, and if you feel the need to check in with everyone else to make sure it's fine. Go for it. But that's key. You know, you already know the solution. The key is getting over how it's making you feel. And it's likely what you perceive as how you're going to make other people feel is probably not even their bag. They're probably like, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just did an interview with a reporter who's going to transition to sleeping on the floor. Cool. Because of they're very, very big into fitness and bodybuilding but they're waking up multiple times a night in pain. Mm. And they and it's like their their body and and he his wife had suggested who's also a reporter. She's like, "Well, I've, you know, I've, you know, she'd worked with me on some other things." She's like, "I think that you're not moving your kind of like hyper move in particular way body all night long that you could actually use your sleeping as a more active recovery. Athletes know what I'm talking about with active recovery. You can use your sleeping time as active recovery. It's pressure. You're introducing pressure which is, you know, you're rolling on balls and foam rollers and getting body work oftentimes to supplement the pressure all over of the parts that don't get moved in our very in in our very overcushioned life. Mm-hmm. But I don't suggest that you go from sleeping in a bed to sleeping on the floor. So some of the steps that I gave this gentleman were start sleeping on the other side of the bed. Start sleeping on a guest bed if you have one in your house not every night but that you're like cross training right you're thinking about well this bed is my exercise program so just changing equipment a little bit change equipment so change at first the side of the bed which is going to be slightly different if it's if you share a bed with anyone else it's going to be conformed kind of slightly or broken down to the person's body who normally sleeps there so you're going to switch so that you're exposed to a slightly unique terrain sleeping terrain if you will then you're going to go to guest bed. You're going to start getting on the floor for five to 10 minutes and just lying there, move your body around. That's a dose of pressure. It's kind of like the worst massage you ever got. It's just like one flat push on your body. But and then, but go through all your sleeping positions. Lie on one side, lie on the other side, lie on your stomach with your head one way, lie on your stomach with your head the other way, put one arm under your head. You know, you're, you're going through... All of the motions that you'd assume during sleeping time, but you're going to go through all of them in 10 to 15 minutes. That is mobility work. That is that is the lightest version of, of mobilizing pressure-type work. Then you can get into it with more detail through the corrective exercises that we have. 
through rolling out with various like myofascial balls or tools. You can, you know, go flossing, you know, in all of those areas, look through all, go splunking into all the nooks and crannies because that's usually what ends up being achy and sore. So alongside that kind of switching from your current position in your own bed to a different position, new bed, you're doing this kind of gentle mobility work. You're adding in a little bit more walking, a little bit more correctives, adding in some at work. And then you can start trying to sleep. You don't go to the floor. You build up something extra cushiony on the floor. Lots of layers. Think princess in the pea. You're coming down off your mattress, but you're not ready for what is underneath the bed. So you go right. with, you know, three or four comforters. And then over time, you might notice that I have to, you have to get back in bed in the middle part of the night. You know, you're doing different lo- lower dosages of floor sleeping, if you will. And then that's how you transition. And it can be over months. It could be over a year. It all depends on the current state of your body. So that would be my recommendation. That's a lot of stuff. I could back that one up. Yeah, Dana, my mornings were just like yours sound before I started doing this work. Just put put all that into practice at your pace that you can and you will benefit from it. So now I jump out of bed like I'm a toddler. Like three times a night? No. <laughs> Asking for water? Is that what they do? Mom, and a sliced toddlers, apple? My toddlers never did that. They must have been scared to get out of bed. Okay. Well, that was good. And I, I just love how almost everybody always knows their answer. They just, you know, need just a little bit of, of bolstering in that direction. We're also wise. Okay. This is actually not a question. This gal would just like an update from Katie. She writes to you a while ago, you wrote a blog post about cleaning up your sleep. I'd love to hear a review and a sleep show, if you will, of what you've been doing for Katie's sleep system. Mm. Yeah, what have you what have you done for my sleep system lately, Danny? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I make it so you can rest easy at night, don't uh, I? Just by being in the world. It's sometimes I just listen to our podcast. I was like, I just, so and just I, fast I just forward through my out. parts just to hear you <laughs> lull me to sleep. Uh, what are the major updates? Okay, so I made one. I, th- I think that cleaning up my sleep, I had mold. We used to sleep directly on the floor. So I live in the Pacific Northwest. And I live in an old house and where my bedroom is tends to be in this low circulating area. So we were sleeping directly on the floor and after sleeping on the floor on maybe it was like a three inch piece of foam that compressed down to an inch when we slept on we have hardwood floors. When we lifted up the foam after a a couple of months to our surprise, there was mold growing. So like we had warmed the floor and made it really moist with our body heat and we got mold there. So we're like, okay, we can't sleep on the floor anymore. And I think that was before I wrote cleaning up my sleep. Yes. Because we had built platforms. So we built wood platforms that were, I don't know, six inches, eight inches off the ground that we could put our futon on that we had bought these new wool because within the foam itself like that had some issues because it's not only the mechanics we're also trying to get rid of all of the i want to say anti-inflammatory that's funny but uh the thing that keeps things from bursting into flames oh yeah flammable like the yeah it's not inflammatory what is it called flam no flame retardant Flame retardant. Yeah. Thank yes. you. I'm, I can only I, think in anti inflammatory sounded great to me. Yeah, exactly. Too. The flame retardants that they spray, they're kind of like all, all per, like they're getting all pervasive as far as circulating within our body. So it, it's on couches, it's standard on any furniture, at least in the United States, is sprayed with this stuff. I mean, they're finding it in breast milk. It was like, you can link, you can listen to a podcast. I think we talked all about this kind of stuff. But anyway, so we got these mattresses, and you have, if you have a mattress, it has to, by law, come with flame retardant. The way around it is if you get a futon. Futons don't have to have it. So there's a couple companies that make, they have wool, so they're naturally flame retardant versus synthetics. So anyway, we bought that. We put it on a on these wood platforms that we made and sealed ourselves, which is in, the, I believe, the yeah, blog post she's blog talking posts, about. Yeah. 
we moved them the other day, and lo and behold, there is mold between them. What the heck? I know. Only on the slats uh, where it was co- well, where. Do you not flip the beds? No, I don't flip the beds. How often are we supposed to flip the beds? So, I, no, no. I've never gosh, flipped. Okay. I mean, I mean. I roll my futon up every day. Yes. Well, our futons, these are very heavy. They don't oh. bend. They don't flex. They're, I mean, they're, they're, it's a queen size and a double. They don't have handles. It's just wool. I mean, right. they're over a hundred pounds. I mean, they're really heavy. Maybe even they're and they're awkward and flat. It's like it's like if you took twelve bodies that were all passed out and not able to help you out at all and stitched them together. It's like flipping that over. It's like wow, that is an super awesome awkward. image. Thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, you're welcome. You're, I was oh, trying to God. think of. Yeah, How are you yeah. going to go to bed tonight? Oh, no. That's what oh. it's like. I mean, it's like it doesn't help you at all. So, no, I don't flip them regularly. I mean, we flip them just after a few months' use because we move them often. We move a lot of things in our house because we notice that changing things like f- furniture, switching rooms of things has a profound impact on our kids in terms of how they engage. It's like if it's the same environment over and over and over again – it's totally different than if we make some major household change, like every wow. quarter, like they just totally re-engage with their environment. So it's not, it wasn't, we don't flip them up every day, but yes, we are at the point now where we're like, okay, what can we sleep on that's on the floor low? That's also simple to just pick up every day. And so it might be wools. I mean, we've got a couple of wools that our kids will sleep on. They'll just drag it next to where we are, just sleep on the floor with a blanket. So we are going, we're about ready to clean up our sleep again because we're coming it's a, at a quarter end for us right like we're going into kind of the end of spring or i guess we're at the middle of spring no need to rush it but um it's a seasonal change so we'll switch our bedding we'll switch all of our rooms we'll switch kind of how we do major things right you switch schooling and and we'll we'll change our environment or our habitat as well getting closer to the ground and getting something that comes up that's the logistics of it as far as how I feel, fantastic, except when I end up sleeping on a bed. So I've totally like, it's kind of like, you know, you transition away from a heeled shoe and then you put it back on and you're like, oh, my back, my, like you feel the effects when I get, if I'm traveling and sleeping in a hotel that has a big old squishy bed. And for many reasons, I don't like to sleep on the floor of a hotel that often, unless I have a lot of bedding, I can Right. Put on the carpet just because it's so heavily traveled, you know, I will wake up with a headache or a stiff mm-hmm. neck like I can't. So I was like, maybe I need to practice sleeping on not only the floor, you know, a little bit, because, again, the floor is not as varied as I would like it to be. Camping was a great camping. We're in the camping season. So that will be good because we'll be sleeping on all sorts of different shapes and textures for the next three or four months because we will do a lot of camping. And so that will help. But kind of like, you know, you're in the winter time, your barefoot walking goes down, you're in shoes more, you lose all your calluses. We're kind of with winter sleeping body, which is sleeping for a lot longer, sleeping in the same surface over and over again. So that's what I'm looking forward to is adding the texture and the terrain back to my sleep through the summer. That's the update. Those are the only updates I have. Awesome. Well, good luck with that mold thing. That's uh, oh. yeah, and the Wi Fi. Frustrating. The Wi Fi creeped back on, right? You know, so we've got that timer that clicks off at nine, but it just kind of slowly crept back on because, like, we'd be working on something, turn it back on. So we had to bring back the hard fast. It goes off at nine. If it goes off at nine and you're working, that was your signal that you should have changed yeah, the way that's you were your working. Cue. You know, it's, right? So we're 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 back to uh, just cleaning it up again, right? You clean up. It's never a one-time thing. You, I just keep getting oh, back always, on the boat. Yeah. You catch on the boat. I catch on the boat. So a season season change transition is always a behavioral modification in the Bowman household. That's a good idea. I like that. All right. So this next question is from Mary. And Mary writes, my question is about sleep. I would venture to guess most typical Americans do not get enough. I generally get between 8 to 10 hours a night currently as we homeschool, so we don't have to get up early as regular school kids. But when I get less, I often feel groggy in the afternoons and have a strong desire to nap instead of go for a walk. 
Should I feel guilty for actually sleeping when I feel tired, or should I be moving more to tell my body now is not the time to sleep? Does that make sense? It is not so much a question about how to sleep, but is sleeping a behavior we should be engaging in as often as it calls? Interesting. And mm-hmm. I mean actually sleeping, not lying in bed, reading, or watching TV. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love this question. Well, yeah, that's as a great question. Been taking a lot of naps lately. <laughs> well, and I think that, you know, what did she say? She said, how... No, not how to sleep. Like, what's enough sleep? I think, you know, it's kind of what we talk about. Like, what's enough movement? The distribution of of movement is something that we only are just now starting to think of when and because we thought that exercise was enough. So distribution to us was three times a week or once every day. We weren't thinking because we were thinking exercise, not it should be coming in waves throughout the day, sometimes for hours, but sometimes in shorter bits for 10 or 20 minutes. And I bet you sleep is going to end up looking something similar to that. Like we have this idea that sleep is something that's supposed to come in one huge block. But when they, some of the research that they've done, when people are adequately rested, that they have two sleeps, right? They go to bed. When the sun goes down, maybe, you know, these are people that have been removed from stimulus or light. So they go to bed earlier and then. They wake up in the middle of the night and are up for a few hours in the middle of the night and then go back and have a second sleep. There are many cultures that do that and also would have a nap, right? So mm-hmm. we might be getting, quote, enough, but maybe it's not all supposed to come smashed together in one space. And maybe we're not all supposed to sleep with the same amount and distribution. Right. Well, isn't that kind of like when, you know, it's like we don't want to work out just for that one hour a day. You want to move throughout your day. And so you could apply that same thing to that. Your sleep should be allowed to have that leeway, too. Yeah. And I think in seasonally and I've noticed, I mean, I noticed for me with my menstrual cycle, the night before I would start, I would be unable to sleep. And for years and years, you know, I'd be in bed because it's bedtime and I'm just thrashing and kicking over the, I mean, like clockwork one night a month, unable to sleep. It also happens on the full moon for me as well. And just like, you're just tossing and turning. And finally I was like, Oh, I'm going to get up now. And I would get up and I would have this whole mid in middle of the night, three hour period to myself where I would just indulge myself and kind of, you know, make a warm beverage, get up and do some self-massage and maybe read a little bit if I wanted to or anything just for myself. I'd be all bundled up and and cozy and, you know, right or whatever it is that I wanted to do. And then I'd go back to bed and I felt way more rested by getting up out of bed and tending to myself during this period of time and going back to bed than when I would just thrash and become mentally frustrated at the fact that I wasn't sleeping during the time that I was, quote, should be sleeping Oh, that's interesting. And also going to bed really early. Like, you know, you've been outside all day long in the in the weather and moving around. You know, I put my kids to bed and I just go to bed with them at early, like seven. But I would have slept from seven to one a.m. And then I'm up and I'm up from one to three. And then I go back and can sleep from three to six or three to seven. That that sleep distribution distributed throughout the month, right? Like it's not always like that every single night. I, my sleeping needs vary on a cycle. And so just, mm-hmm. I think that we need to be open to the ideas that many human behaviors, many animal behaviors are likely to not be in this oversimplified, you need eight glasses of water. So just drink them just in a row <laughs> over two hours rather than, well, some of that water is supposed to be in your food. Some of that water you gulp in the morning, so you don't need it later on. Sometimes you drink at night, so you don't, you know, like there are these other variables that we're just not used to considering. And so with sleep, I would say that this, it's not only the frequency, but the distribution. And then also, you know, she's asking, how do I know if I'm tired or basically sluggish? I would say physically sluggish, where I want to, I feel like what I, I want to sleep, but what I really need is a walk. You know, so if you're unable to discern, am I tired or am I sluggish? And sluggish is the word I'm using for undermoved at this point, would be to look at your total movement and go, do you feel like you'd be undermoved? Do you notice that 
noontime sluggishness go away if you add more movement into the day. And of course, we can't really have conversations about movement and sleep without diet, right? Because mm-hmm. there can be drops in fuel. So I think that if this is a big issue that you might want to also approach the distribution of your dietary nutrients and see if that is not also part of the equation, because of course it is, right? Yeah. I read this cool book uh, several years ago about this guy who went to the Amazon for years. Uh, you've probably read it too. I can't remember the title. I'll look it up and put it in the notes. But that he lived with this tribe and their standard practice was they would go to bed, you know, as soon as the sun went down usually and wake up about one in the morning and all sit around and talk for a little bit and maybe have something to drink, have something to eat and stay up for about an hour and then go back to bed. Mm-hmm. And that was just the cycle that they were on. You know, that's and then sometimes they take a short nap during the day and there wasn't anything weird about that for them because that's just they were just doing what they were accustomed to. Siestas are quite pervasive. And I mean, as far as in the animal world, right, if you're moving and, and foraging all day long, there's going to need to be a bout of resting, you know. So mm-hmm. we're in that again, that weird dichotomy where we we don't get enough movement because we're busy doing stuff sedentary, but we're never actually rested because none of that sedentary time is like downtime. It's always like, right. it's like intense stimulus packaged with sedentarism, which is, I imagine, very stressful given that stress and movement kind of go hand in hand biologically. But a couple references, Sean Stevenson has a book called Sleep Smarter, which I thought was a really great introduction. If you were like, whoa, I never thought about sleep before as something that I could play with, like my movement and my diet. Uh-huh. Sleep Smarter is great. Sean Stevenson, I've done his uh, podcast a couple, few times, and he's he's just, he's really great. And then also in Eat Well, Move Well, I know uh, Galena and Roland Denzel cover some, a lot of those chapters are, are just on sleep and they've interviewed some different sleep experts. So there's a couple places if you're interested in more sleep, you can go check that out. Sounds good. Right. It's a good book. How many more questions? That one. Uh, what else you got? Well, as many, as many as you want. This is one uh, from Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> Oops, yes to time, everybody. Take five. And Andrew writes, I was wondering if you could talk more about the dangers or benefits of sleeping on your stomach. Mm. I know some practitioners like Kelly Starrett suggest not sleeping in this way. I've been sleeping in sort of a half side, half stomach position propped up by a pillow under one half of the side of my body. I'm worried if this may harm my neck. Mm. Kelly Starrett and I did an interview and we talked about sleep. If you want to link to that in the show notes. Okay. Because, we'll do you know, that. a lot of times Kelly Starrett, and, and that's he said this in the podcast, like he's talking about athletes and training and people working on their mobility. Like, so again, it's like this is a, a way to use sleep as a way to correct this particular thing. Where my views on sleep are about how to add more movement into your life and ways to identify casts that you may be putting on. So rarely would I suggest that you... Like my suggestions aren't really that you make edits or changes in single areas of your life, although you're welcome to do that, but rather it's an entire system that works all together. So sometimes if you're only making changes in one part of the system, it doesn't bode well because there might be some other change in some other aspect of your life that was they were supposed to work together. And so that's the challenge that's the challenge of of slowly adding in movement here or there, as you might find that in order to sleep, like for that question, I think it was Dana, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, in order for her to transition to sleeping in a different way, she needs mobility exercises done outside of sleep, right? So if you're only going, oh, get rid of my mattress, great, I'm going to do that, but you've not done anything else, then then all of a sudden that might be not harmful, but maybe painful for you, right? Although I just... My neighbor walked by, a neighbor that I didn't even know really knew, like knows anything that I do. And he said, hey, I read some of your blog posts, you know, that you got rid of your pillow. And I got rid of my pillow and I've had this, you know, problem in my neck and shoulders for a couple years. And it's like two weeks I've been doing it and it's gone. And that's all he did. So you just never know. Right. That's crazy. That's awesome. But the intention is always that it all goes together, right? That the sleeping goes with the walking, goes with the squatting, goes with the corrective exercises that go with the texture that go with the terrain that go with the long distance vision right it, 
it all is one system altogether. You can certainly do whatever parts of it that uh, seem more feasible to you, but that it does work together as a system. So again, the answer is, you know, my recommendations aren't for one particular sleeping position as much as it is for looking at your bed as an opportunity for more motion to move, which is not only just that you're like tossing and turning in bed more, I don't mean more motion like that, but that you're moving more of your parts in order to accomplish sleep. So benefits of sleeping on your stomach, oftentimes a big cushiony bed allows you to sleep on your stomach all night long. So you're just consuming one long bout of one position. So I imagine that that would become a problem if you were working on mobilizing your neck or some other part that you're sleeping might be a mass consumption of one position that you're trying to move away from. So that would probably be the perspective I would assume yeah. a practitioner would have, you know. All right. Well, I just want to give a shout out to Allison and Fern because you asked questions that were in this podcast, but Katie already answered them. You've you've got to this point. You're like, hey, that was my question too, kind of. Yeah. Just so you know, I saw you and thought of you. I see you, but your question's just been answered. Okay, this is a good, this is a gem from Tom. Any thoughts on how our modern day body adaptations have impacted what seems to be an increasing number of sleep apnea diagnoses, specifically for those people who are not dealing with obesity? Oh my gosh. Well, (laughs) it's just hard to, I mean, it's hard to extract, you know, this is where, you know, we talk about breathing and the impact of a jaw formation, nursing, breastfeeding, chewing, all of those early forces and how that affects the structures that we breathe with, our palate height, our tongue thrust, right? All those Like, why would we associate sleep apnea with a behavior in our first two or three years? And not to say that they are related, but that this is the, this is the, the sphere of questions that are yet to even be asked, which is like, what actually designates the size and the shape of our breathing tubes? I mean, we have a bunch of people who are like, they have obstructive breathing. They go to bed at night and they are unable to breathe. Again, red flag, central. And then when we look at, we have to go back to the beginning and start going, well, what what is the, what are the earliest exercises we engage in that help us set those shapes of those structures that we're breathing in and out of that I would say that there's, I mean, I, I personally, if I were the research on this, would start with, early infant and toddler practices. And then you could go to chewing. Like I would start with the easiest things. Like what are the largest forces that the jaw and the tongue and the palate would experience, you know, in those first few years and they're going to be eating practices. So that's where I would look. Hmm. So that would be, so modern day adaptations, just a, I, I would look at, yeah, I would look at feeding practices. Cause I mean, there could be a lot of other things. I mean, and nutrients too, for sure. But I, it's hard to, it's hard to say, it's hard to pull out dietary nutrients from the methods that you take in the dietary nutrients, because both of those things, there are the mechanical loads. And then there are the nutrients that you're utilizing to build the structures based on the mechanical load. So diet, both dietary and mechanical to me would be the first place that I would look at for for some of this sleep you know obstructive right. breathing and then of course you know upper thoracic kyphosis immobility of all the muscles around the chest the fact that the head is regularly positioned so far forward from the rest of the body and is only made worse as we in, as we bring in technology i.e excessive head in front of torso practice positioning tension that's a tube yeah you know i mean i think it's in dynamic aging where i actually put in the diagram and maybe an alignment matters as well only i used a straw (laughs) (laughs) to say here's a straw in one way here's a straw before your days of high-tech illustration yes like that you you have affected all of the structures involved in swallowing breathing uh and then the size and shapes of those tubes their strengths all of that oh the fact that we you know, we don't let kids put anything in their mouths, 
you know, in fear of choking, they've lost their earliest development of the ability to move their tongues in particular shapes, you know, and deal with being able to have the strength in moving thing up and down. Like, so it's a, it's a very nebulous isn't the right word because I feel like it's probably very simply defined. It's just, there's going to be a ton of variables there that are going to affect it. So they all need to be investigated one at a time, but that would be my that, those would be my hypotheses if this was my field of research. Wow. And there's a lot of dentists. There's a lot of dentists now. They are now considering those structures much as much more adaptive pieces of your physiology than just like, hey, you get this number of teeth and this is your genetic shape of your jaw. They're going, oh, yeah, no, it's all formed just like the muscles in your legs and and the shape of your bones and your shoulders that it's 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 genetic there's genetic shapes in there, but that part of part of that genetic programming is how to respond to the loads as they're developing. Uh, Thanks for the jam, yeah, Tom. Dude, your answer was as cool as his questions. That was oh, a good match. All right, last one. Samantha writes, I am on the eliminate the pillow plan. I'm down two notches from where I began, taking about 10 months to get there. I'm currently on a pretty darn flat nothing of a pillow. Next stage, the towel or less. Here's my problem. In the middle of the night, while sleeping, I fold the pillow in two and double the height. So will one of you come sleep beside me and jab me in the ribs when I do this? My husband won't mind. Seriously, I don't feel I have transitioned too quickly, but dang it if I can get my body to commit to it. What are your thoughts? (laughs) I got this one, Katie. Samantha, I will come and sleep beside you as long as we can sleep on the floor, but I won't jab you in the ribs when you fold your pillow because I feel it's kind of a rude move. I'm just going to (laughs) grab you by your shoulders and shake you and shriek. And I think they think they could cure the problem. So if you're down with it, fly me out to wherever you are and three nights and we're over it. But what are your thoughts? Wow, is this a service it's, you're going to be offering? Well, it depends. I, I feel like she really needs it. She's trying hard. But what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are she needs the heights. Like, it's kind of like, you know, she's reaching for what she needs to be comfortable in the middle of the night. And that's mm. great. What I would suggest is... Try to find, so where she is seems to be, based on the indication of her behavior, as indicated by her behavior, too low for her to sustain throughout the night. So if she could find something that's a little higher than what she's starting out with, but a little lower than what she's doubling up to, that would be better. Or cut your pillow in half, you know, where you can't, like, use something that's actually smaller that you can't can't fold fold it up. But I often, you know, I will, I, I will often do the same thing, you know, in the middle of the night, like there's just like something that I need. And I, I just usually will grab a piece of, a you know, clothing that's around me because I just need like a half a centimeter more, you know, and I want to put my arm down or right. something. So I, I feel like, I feel like you don't have to ignore that, that that's not the goal to ignore yourself. It's to listen to yourself and then go, maybe I need, for me, my practice is like, I need to do more things with my upper body. It's not necessarily like I need to change my sleeping environment more. I'm already on the thin pillow. It's like, to me, this is an indication of my shoulders and my neck aren't as supple as I want them to be. So I will add more of that movement to the next day, mm-hmm. to the point where, to the point where I'm, my upper body's more relaxed without any bolstering. Awesome. I didn't think about that. Okay. Well, so this is going to come out around March 16th, I think, of 2017. Where are you going to be around there? Are you going to be out in the world doing stuff? Can people come see you? Yep. Did I say March? Yeah. Wow. That's okay. I was like, you're going to hold on to this one for a long time. I I think it's time to, I I think it's time. Well, we'd have to go back in time. I'd have to get in the TARDIS and go back in time because that just, that wouldn't work. I think I need a siesta. So May. May May 16th. You totally need a nap. Exactly. You need a nap. We all do. I will be in Austin. I'll be in Austin, Texas, the uh, 19th, 20th, and the 21st. I'll be uh, teaching at Paleo FX. You do have to get a ticket to Paleo FX for the entire conference. They don't have any single-day tickets. But I am doing a public event at Barnes & Noble there. And you can find out the details. It's in a suburb of Austin. I want to say, like, Honeybee. Oh, that can't be right. That can't be right. Hold on. I'll pull it up for a second. One minute, please. I will be doing one public event there at the Barnes and Noble on May 20th. And that is in Hill Country Galleria, which is in Bee Cave, 
Texas, which I think is like 15 minutes outside of Austin. It's a suburb of Austin. So that's for anyone who wants to come. I'd love to have you come out and say hi. And then I will be in the Netherlands. If you are listening in in the Holland, (laughs) I will be doing... Oh gosh. <laughs> you know who that's I for. Know. I will be doing a public event. I don't even want to. It's at the shore in Shivenin again. Oh, don't even go there. Just we'll yes. spell it out. All right. Yes. You can you can link to we'll it. link to it. <laughs> yes. If you go to the appearances page on yeah. the calendar at Nutritious Movement, it's actually a very cool event. So I will be teaching a res week there. That we always do in Castricum, but one of the teachers who's coming to certify with us, she owns a pancake and coffee house on the beach. It's an all organic, I mean, coffee and pancake house. So if everyone's like, yeah, right. It's going to be a minimal footwear swap. Wow. And companies like European companies that have different types of minimal footwear, they're going to be coming and bringing samples and they're inventory. So I'm very excited because there's a couple of new companies of minimal footwear in Europe that I'm hoping come because I love their shoes. But of course, you know, when you're buying and shipping from Europe, you don't, it's hard to like get the sizing right. So I'm excited about that. So it should be super fun on the beach. Across the internet, I can just like hear tickets being bought for the Netherlands all over. It's just, it's free. Yes, exactly. They're not cheap right (laughs) now, I can tell you. (laughs) But yes, it's a super fun event of just this great party with the natural movement and minimal footwear community. My book, Whole Body Barefoot, is in Dutch. And so that publisher will be there and we'll have those books and it should Sounds be a great like event. It. So if you are if you are there, come on out and Seattle, September seventh, eighth and ninth at Ancestral Health Symposium. And I'll probably do one other thing in Seattle on there. And then New Zealand. New Zealand, I will be there in October and In addition to teaching at the Ancestral Health Symposium, I believe we're going to do two other public events. I'm going to be shaping those up over the next couple of months at different areas in New Zealand because I'm going to be traveling there for a long while. So anyway, I will keep you posted on the New Zealand stuff. And again, if you have tweet us or Instagram, any social media outreach, if you have any ideas of what I should be doing in New Zealand or great places to do Different events, just hit us up. We appreciate the Have an assistance. organic pancake and coffee house. Let us know. Oh, my gosh. It's like you had me at pancakes and coffee. I'm just <laughs> going to come put my feet up. Yes, I'm very excited about that. All right. Well, that's a wrap for us. Hope everybody gets a good yeah. night's sleep, even if it happens during the day today or tonight. If yes. this last part, if the last part of the podcast didn't put you, you to sleep, yeah. we well, don't know. Well, we no. figure out where's Katie going to be? Where in the world is Katie? Katie, Carmen, whatever it is. All right. So, Katie, thank you. Couldn't remember that. Thank you for listening. For more information, books, online exercise classes, you can find Katie Bowman at nutritiousmovement.com. And you can find more about me, Danny Hemmett, at moveyourbodybetter.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such.